0: your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 4. Uh, I, I left my little Bible. We have these little books of Mark. Um, Beth, hold yours up. Right there. So if you don't have one of those, what it is is it's just the book of Mark on actual real paper, not Bible paper, which isn't actually even paper. And it has a page of notes for every page of Scripture so you can take notes in there, write, highlight, circle things, take it home and read it, do all that stuff. And we have them for everybody. So if you don't have One today, just go ahead and raise your hand and we have ushers that will be able to bring one and give it to you. There we go. We got some people right here that need their Bibles. That's awesome. And the reason we do that, like I actually told our tech guys, don't put it up on the screen because I want to trick you into having reading your own Bible. Like I want you to see it on your own Bible and to be able to highlight it, circle it, go through it, do all that stuff. Just keep your hands up and she'll get back there with them on the other side of the room. She'll get to it. Just keep it up. Um... Because what we believe is that the the Word of God is powerful and it has the ability to transform and to change you. That when you begin to consume it and really just dig into it and let it speak to you, uh, she's still coming. (laughs) Uh, It will absolutely change everything about your life. And right up here in front, too. I love this. Like I love giving out Bibles. That's a good thing for a church to do. Yeah. So thanks for allowing us to be able to do that. It's not coming out of my pocket. (laughs) But anyways, uh, so as we're going through the book of Mark... In Mark chapter 1, what I want you to see is this is all building on itself. When we read the Bible, a lot of times we, like, here's a verse, here's a verse, here's a paragraph, and we don't glue it together to see the whole story that's being told. But in the book of Mark, uh, uh, Mark is telling the story of Jesus in a very clear and deliberate way. And in chapter 1, he starts out by saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that this whole book that we're going to read is the gospel or the good news, the joyous tidings that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior of all the world, and that he has come to restore. He's come to restore you in relationship to God, he's come to restore you in relationship with others, he's come to restore everything about all of creation. And this changes reality for us. Everything about our lives and our future is changed by the news that Jesus, the Son of God, has come to restore. And then in Mark chapter 2, Jesus starts out his ministry by saying, believe the gospel, that's believe that the kingdom of God is here, believe the words that I'm speaking to you, that I'm salvation. But don't just believe the gospel, now repent and follow after me. Jesus is saying, I'm not looking for believers We all believe that we need to eat right and we need to exercise, but the vast majority of us don't actually follow through on that belief, so it doesn't change who we are. You guys are all staring real smug at me right now, like, yeah, we can see. (laughs) But what Jesus says is, believe this and now follow after me. Because I I can't restore you until you start following after me. You're in a place of bondage, you're in a place where you're pretty messed up because of the life that you were living and the natural result of sin inside of us. But I want to lead you out of that place into restoration. I want to lead you out of that place into all of my plans and my purposes for you, but you have to follow after me for that to be able to happen. Don't just believe me, but now actually follow after me. And then in Luke, or not Luke, that was last year. Now in Mark chapter 3, what he, said, he talk, starts talking about there's four responses to this call of Jesus to follow after him and to believe the gospel. The Pharisees started hearing Jesus say this and they viewed him as a threat. He was a threat to their culture. He was a threat to their way of life because the way that he was calling people to live was very different from the way that they had been living. The gospel of Jesus Christ is very different from the culture that we live in. Uh, If you ever watch the news, it becomes very apparent that what God's revealed to us about his culture and his kingdom in Scripture does not match up with our culture. It doesn't match up with any culture on the face of this earth. But we've been called to leave our culture, to live out the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And for some people, they don't like that because it's a threat. I like the way that I'm living. I like the way that things are. So Jesus, you're called to leave this as a threat to me. Therefore, I reject you. Some people didn't follow him because they were just looking for what they could get out of him. That's what the crowds were. There were people that had very real needs. They had sicknesses, they had disease, demonic activity, all sorts of things that were going on. They had very real needs that only Jesus could meet. But they weren't in following Jesus for following Jesus. They were just following after him until they got their needs met and then they were going back home to life as normal. So they really weren't following Jesus. There was Jesus' family, which they all thought he was crazy, which is really encouraging to me. If you've ever had your parents or your brothers and sisters not believe in you, well, guess what? Jesus has been there too. And it turned out all right for him. But following Jesus, for some of us, we will reject because of the fact that the things that Jesus calls us to seem absolutely crazy. Because he calls us to live a supernatural life, following after the wisdom of God, which does not match up with the wisdom of this world. So because of that, some people won't follow after Jesus. But for the disciples, for those that hear the words of Jesus and say, I believe and I'm going to follow after you, there's something special that they get. They get a restoration. They get a restoration of relationship with God. We're able to know him deeply and intimately here on earth, here and now. We're not waiting for the return of Jesus to know him. We will know him fully then but we can know him here and now on this earth and there's nothing greater in this world than knowing Jesus. It was a restoration of purpose. That every single one of us, we were created to do good works in Christ Jesus, but we weren't born doing those things because of the way that sin had affected us. We try to live our lives, every one of us wants to be significant. We want to do something that matters, something that's bigger than ourselves. And we try to, to, to find that in careers or in education and families, really good things. I'm all for families and careers and education, but they can't fulfill you. I'm all for hobbies. I'm all for sports. Like, I love watching football. I'm not a football player, as you can tell by looking at me, but I love watching other people bash into each other. Like, that's the best of both worlds for me. But that doesn't fulfill me. That doesn't bring peace. That doesn't bring joy into my life. Jesus does. When we follow after Jesus, it's a restoration of the purposes that he created us for. And when we follow after Jesus, it's a restoration of power and authority. Jesus says, I've created you to be a partner in this ministry of reconciliation with me, and I'm going to send you out to do these good works that you were created to do. And I'm also going to give you power and authority, supernatural power and authority, so that you're going to be able to do Everything that I've called you to. Jesus didn't say, hey, go out and make disciples of all the nations. Good luck, you're on your own. He said, you're going to go out and make disciples of all the nations, but I'm also going to send the Holy Spirit to you, which will be the power from on high, the dunamis, supernatural. It means dynamite power so that you can go out and so that you can make disciples, so that you can live a life that's holy and pure and set apart for Jesus and for Jesus alone. That's the restoration that we receive when we decide to follow after Jesus. Jesus. Now, for us, odds are that if you're here this morning, you've already heard that before. A lot of you have experienced that. And hearing that's like, yeah, like thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad that you've done that for me. That is the good news. That is the best news that I have ever heard. But for a lot of people, it wasn't. The Pharisees, when they heard Jesus proclaim these things, instead of repenting and believing the gospel and following after Jesus, they began to oppose him. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to plot his destruction. They were getting together with the Herodians and the scribes and the Sadducees. And they're all plotting, how is it that we can take Jesus out? How can we get rid of him? To the crowds, they heard, but they didn't respond. His own family heard, but didn't believe in who Jesus was and what it was that he came to do. There was a lot of conflict. The call of Jesus, the message of the gospel, though it is good news, The gospel always brings conflict because the message of Jesus that he is the king and that his kingdom is here and that his kingdom is now and that we're called to bend the knee to enter into the kingdom and to serve Jesus that's not a call that we like. What we want to do is we want to build our own lives. We want to be the masters of our own fate. We want to be the determiners of our own destiny. We want to be the arbiters of our own truth that we make for each other. Now we live in a post-truth world, which we're all still trying to learn and even understand what that means. We we used to be, we all got to make up our own truth. Now we don't even believe that there is truth. So for I have Jesus come say, I am the way, the truth, and the light follow after me. Makes us say, Jesus, that's not my truth. Maybe that's your truth. Or, Jesus, what is truth? That's the thing that Pilate himself said. What is truth? The message of Jesus is confrontational, it doesn't line up with our culture. I'm afraid what's happened too many times in churches and the way that we've presented Jesus and the call of Jesus is Jesus came to make your life better. You've got a great life, add this into it, and your life will be even better. Jesus came to do this for you. Jesus came to do that for you. All you have to do is just incorporate Jesus into the life that you're already living, and everything's going to be great for you, and you'll get to go to heaven someday when you die. That's not what Jesus ever said. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that the King has come. The King has come He's come to the people who rejected him. He's come to the people who rebelled against him. He came to the people who hated him and despised him. He came to the people who would nail him to a cross. But he came. And he came to free us from the bondage of sin and the slavery to it. He came to free us so that we could be restored back to him. He came to love us. But he also came to call us. He said, I came to free you not so that you can continue to go back to the slavery you used to live in. I didn't come to free you so that you could go back to destroying yourself and destroying others. I didn't come to free you so you could go back to walking away from your purposes and the plans and the good works that I've called you to. He said, I came to free you so that now you could, of your own free will, bend your knee to me. And say, Jesus, you are Lord. And I'm going to follow after you every moment of my life from this day forward some of us, that's beautiful. I remember when I had that realization that Jesus was so much more than someone I read about in the Bible, the felt board picture that I saw in my Sunday school class in the Methodist church I grew up in. I've been selling Jesus short. And when I had that revelation of just who Jesus was, how good he was, how worthy he was, It changed everything about my life. And it'll change everything about yours. But the only way that we get in, the only way that that we get to receive the benefit and the blessing and knowing God and walking into restoration is when we first say, Jesus, I'm giving up control of my life. I believe you're the king, I believe that you're worthy. Nothing else in this life is worthy like you. Nothing else is worth me bending my knee to. And here's the thing. Every single one of us, we do bend our knee. There is a highest source of power. There's a highest authority. There's a highest truth that we all have submitted our lives to. Whatever your political philosophy or leaning or whatever you created for yourself, we all have something that we have bent the knee to and submitted ourselves to to make the Lord over our life. And everything that isn't Jesus that we bend the knee to and submit ourselves to will lead you into ruin and it'll lead you into wanting. But when we bend the knee to Jesus and say, you are Lord, from this day forward, I'm following after you, you receive peace, You receive joy, a joy that nothing, no circumstance, no situation can take from you, a peace that surpasses all understanding and that guards our hearts and minds no matter what it is that you're walking through. You receive life, eternal life that no one can take away from you. You receive knowing the God who loved you, who created you, and who gave himself for you. That's what we receive when we bend the knee to Jesus, and that is worth it. It was the best decision that I have ever made. It's the best decision I continue to make every day when I wake up and bend my knee and say, once again, Jesus, you are Lord. And today I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to crucify myself to follow after you and to everything that you have for me. Now, what's the difference between me or if you've made that decision to come to that realization and someone who hasn't? Why is it that the message can be so beautiful and bring so much life to some people? And why is it that the message can bring so much opposition to others? Or why is it that someone, have you ever been in a situation and maybe you heard a love song on the radio when you were a teenager and like you were just starting to have funny feelings? (laughs) Or you weren't, but your friend was. And they hear a love song and they're getting choked up and you're like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? This is so beautiful. Have you ever seen someone, a new parent, first-time parent, they hold that little gray, squawky alien up? You're like, what? I don't get it. Like, What is it about their heart that makes them just cry happy, tears of joy, because they see this little baby, and you're like, what? It's because of the condition of your heart. It's always about the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart always determines the response to something... And Jesus now begins to explain as he's facing opposition from so many people. So many people are plotting to kill him and destroy him because of the message. But also in light of the fact that some people are choosing to follow after him and they're receiving life and they're leaving family and friends behind and going through hardships and ordeals to be able to follow after him. Jesus now begins to explain why this is happening. And he says this in Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20, if I can find it. Here we go. It says, Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since It had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked out, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around with him Uh, The twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now I'll pause real quick right there, because what it makes it sound like to a lot of people. It's like Jesus is telling things in parables to try to confuse them and to keep them from receiving the secrets of the kingdom of God so that they don't actually come to the point of, you know, forgiveness and following after Jesus. Like, that's not what this is saying at all. By the way, it's translated into English and without the cultural context, it can seem that way. But what Jesus is doing is he's hearkening back to language from Isaiah and from Daniel where their prophets were talking about there are secret things that we don't understand. But that God is one day going to reveal about his plan of salvation, the way that he's going to restore everything. But that there's still going to be people who will see and they will hear for themselves, but their hearts will still be hardened. There are some people who are going to see, and let me back up. So this is talking about Jesus. The secret things of God that Daniel and that Isaiah were looking forward to, the plan of God's salvation, was manifest in Jesus. It was a secret and it was a way that nobody would have ever anticipated. Nobody would have thought that God's plan to rescue humanity and restore all things would be for him to take on human flesh, give up so much of what he was entitled to and what was a part of him to humble himself, come be born of a virgin, live as a peasant in obscurity, and then spend three years being rejected and despised and eventually crucified on a cross, bearing the sins of humanity so that we could be forgiven. That's the secret things of the kingdom of God that the prophets looked forward to but weren't able to see. It's the things that confounds the wise. And what they were saying was that there was going to come a time where we would see for ourselves the plan of God. And this is what was happening. The people around Jesus, they were seeing the plan of God, the secret things that the prophets had been looking forward to and giving us glimpses about. But now they were hearing God, the Messiah had come and he was speaking to them. They saw the miracles with their own eyes, demonstrating that Jesus was in fact God and that his kingdom was in fact here. And there were some people, the disciples, who were able to receive the secret things of the kingdom of God, that God had come in Jesus. But he says, But to everybody else, I have to speak in parables because they don't get it. They're seeing, but they're not understanding. They're hearing, but they're not believing. Their hearts are hardened. So I'm telling things in parables to try to make it simple. Uh, it's why we use analogies today is because we're trying to help people understand things that are too complex for them. Like my son's always asking me questions. Like was, I was trying to explain gravity to him last week on our trampoline. I'm like, okay, so every object has mass. And so if I'm the sun, you see how I come over here on the plane and then my, and he's like, why? Because he's six and he doesn't understand that. So I'm like trying to, I'm trying to break it down into an easier way that he can understand. That's what Jesus says I'm going to do. For the people who aren't you that have decided to follow after me, I'm going to break this down in a way that you can understand so there's a spiritual principle now that will be made real to you. So, unpause. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and they accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold and hundredfold. Jesus breaks down this parable So that everybody can understand what it is that he's speaking about. The spiritual truth that he's trying to illustrate. What is it about the kingdom of God that they needed to understand? And he starts out by saying that this is the first parable you have to understand. Jesus tells lots of parables. You will see that as we go through Mark and as you go through your Bible. There's lots of parables. But Jesus says this is the most important one. That this is the starting point. If you don't understand this parable and you're not able to apply the truth of it to your life, then every other parable you read you won't be able to get, you won't be able to understand. It won't produce any benefit inside of you. And so he starts out by saying this. He says, the sower, that's me. Like Jesus, not me. Like Jesus, me. He says that whenever someone wants fruitfulness... What you do is you go out there and you begin to, to throw the seeds. If you want apple trees, you go out there and you start planting apple seeds. And Jesus said, I'm the one. I'm the one that's out there and I want a I harvest. I want fruitfulness out of humanity, out of use. What I do is I come and I throw the seeds all over humanity. And then uh, the seed, what that actually is, is the word of God. Now, the Seeds are amazing things. Because seeds have inside of them everything that is needed to reproduce what they came from. If you have your broccoli seed, which I don't know why you would, but if you have a broccoli seed, you have the ability to take that one seed and produce an entire broccoli plant and to reap the harvest from it, from one little seed. If you Go back to apples, because apples are way better. If you have an apple seed, you have the ability Not just to eat an apple seed, but you have everything genetically that is required to produce not just another apple, but to produce an entire tree that produces hundreds and thousands of apples is all contained in one little seed. Everything that's needed for an entire orchard, everything that's needed for a forest that could cover the earth is contained in one seed. You give it enough time and you give it the right conditions and it's able to reproduce itself over and over and over again. So the seed that God's sowing into us to produce fruitfulness is his own word. Every word that God has spoken, every word that's contained in our scriptures that the prophets under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote, everything that Jesus is teaching and speaking, all of the epistles, all of this, it's all the words of God and every single one of these words has the ability to produce and transform us so that we become like Jesus. If the words come from Jesus, then what that seed produces inside of us is Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? You, you let the seed of Jesus, which is his word, be spoken into you and you let it go down into your heart and you give it enough time and you give it the right conditions and pretty soon you're going to be doing the things that Jesus did. You're going to be looking like Jesus to the world that's around you. You're going to be producing the same fruit in your life that Jesus produced in his life because the seed that Jesus speaks into you has the power to reproduce in you everything that he was in everything that he did. Now, we don't get to be God, but everything that he demonstrated for us in the limitations of man, we're able to have happen inside of us. The word of God is powerful. It's active. It's alive. It's able to divide. It's truth. It's life to us. And we have so many Bibles. Have you ever met someone like, I just wish God would speak to me. I'm like, pull out the Bible. <laughs> Here you go. God speaks. This is His word for you. And if you start digesting this, not just like, okay, I knocked out my three verses for today, but God, speak to me through this. This is your word. God, would you let your word get buried down inside of my heart and change me and transform me and make me like you? Jesus, I want to be like you. So, so transform me. Jesus, I want to do the things you did. So I'm going to hide your word inside of my heart so that it can transform me and produce a harvest inside of me. Not just in my life, but in my family. Not just in my family, but in my workplace. Not just in my workplace, but in my city, in my nation. Jesus, in this world, given enough time, given the right conditions, would you put something inside of me that will change and shape generations that are yet to come? Not because of me, but because of the power of your word and its ability to transform who I am at the core of who I am. That's what the word of God is that's what it has the ability to do inside of us Jesus is coming God is coming and he's speaking over you he's speaking truth to you his seeds have the ability to change everything about who you are but what makes the difference is the condition of your heart see the seed is good the seed has everything needed to transform to change every person on the face of this earth but it doesn't do that for every person And Jesus explains why that is. He talks about the conditions of our hearts, which is the soil that the the word of God is able to grow and to reproduce in. He says that the path, that's a hard heart. He talks about some of the seed falls on the path where it's been trampled down and it's hard. And when you guys walk on a path, there's no difference between a path and the farm field next to it other than the fact that you've been walking all over it. Uh, My my son has a little John Deere battery-powered tractor and he wears a path in my yard and it drives me insane. But it's just he keeps driving over it and compacting the dirt and making a place where now life can't grow, where no fruit can be produced. Has your heart been trampled on by situations, by circumstance, by doubt, by questions, by unbelief, by other things that people have done to you, by sinfulness inside of your heart? Has your heart become a place where it's become so hardened that even when the word of God falls on it, it's not able to take root, it's not able to produce life, and instead Satan comes and he steals it away that's what happens to so many people. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they heard it. Jesus was throwing his words on their heart to transform, to change them. But their hearts were so trampled and so hardened that it wasn't even able to take root. And then Satan came and snatched it away immediately. The second type of soil that he talks about is the rocky ground. And what that means is it's a heart with conditions. It, when I lived in Tennessee, there was, uh, like, everything looks good and green, And tobacco grew really, really well for some reason, but everything else didn't. And it was because there was like a mountain and there was that much topsoil on it, so everything looked good. And you go out there to like dig your little garden, like, and I'm like, oh, there's a huge rock here that's the size of the entire state, so I'm not going to try to break it up. I'm just going to put the flower in there and call it good. And it looks good for a while. The flower is beautiful. Everything looks like it's going great. But then June hits and it starts getting hot. And then July hits and it's still really stupid hot. And what roots are supposed to do is to grow down deep, to tap into sources of life, to tap into nutrients and to tap into water that comes from the depth so that when the drought season comes, which the drought season will always come, it's able to be sustained. Life is able to continue and fruit is able to be produced from it because it's not just in the top soil, but it's gone down deep. Well, when there's a rocky soil, the roots can't penetrate. They can't go down. It's a limit to the depth. So when the the dry season comes, when the sun comes, eventually what happens is the plant withers and it dies and no fruit is produced. When we decide to follow Jesus but we place conditions on how we'll follow him or when we'll follow him or how much of a price we're willing to pay to follow him, what's happened is we've allowed rocks to remain inside of our heart that make it so that the roots can't grow deep. We say, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it doesn't cost me. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as everybody still likes me. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I still get to be the arbiter of truth for myself and do whatever the heck I want. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as nobody's going to try to beat me up. I mean, like, that doesn't happen here. But Abraham, who will be here, he's paid a price to follow Jesus. When he decided to follow Jesus, he had to leave his household. He lived on the streets. He, would, he learned to pray, praying for food. Jesus, please give me a meal today four or five days at a time, just praying that God would give him food as he slept outside on the streets. But it was a heart without conditions. When he decided to follow Jesus, it was because he saw that Jesus was so worthy and what Jesus was leading him into was so good that he was willing to pay any price. Jesus, I'm following you without conditions. It's not as long as I have food. Jesus, I'm not going to follow you as long as nobody tries to beat me up or drown me in the Ganges River like they tried to do to him. The reason why God has produced so much fruit in his life is because every rock, every condition that he had placed on what it meant to follow after Jesus was removed from him. And so roots were set down deep. And when the, when the beatings and the drownings and the shootings and everything else have come to him, he's been able to endure because he was drawing out of a source that was more than himself. He was drawing out of the source that is Jesus. But if we have conditions in following Jesus, the roots will never go down. And when persecution, when trouble, and when turmoil come to you, even though everything was great on top, You'll end up falling away from your faith, and fruit won't be produced inside of your life. He then goes on to say that there are thorns, and what this is talking about is a heart with competing desires. You see, just as God's Word has the ability to reproduce in you everything that, that Jesus is, other seeds have the ability to reproduce inside of you as well. You guys notice that there's like weeds grow? where you didn't intend for them. I planted grass a couple years ago because Sybil is my neighbor and she's just such a sweet, sweet, dear woman that I felt bad because my yard was so bad I was driving down her property value and it didn't seem like a very pastoral thing to do to her. <laughs> so I started taking care of my yard and I planted grass and all of this little lime-colored green grass started to grow up. I was like, oh, look, this grass is growing. I'm watering it, fertilizing it. It's a different color or whatever. Like, it's all going to be good. I showed Chris and Beth how happy I was about my yard. You know what that lime green colored grass was? Crabgrass. <laughs> it was not what I planted. Somehow there were seeds there that had the ability to reproduce and they were choking out my yard. If you have competing interests and desires inside of your heart, it's going to do the same thing. There can only be one priority in your life. And it has to be Jesus. We live in an age with so many incredible things. Man, we get to go on vacations. We get to, like, our kids get to play rocket football, which is awesome. We have jobs and careers and travel, hockey. There's so many good things in this world that, that we get to enjoy and be a part of. Careers and even families. Gosh, I love my family. Do you know my family can become a competing desire? To where I'm putting all of my time and all of my attention and all of my effort into my family and it begins to choke out the word of God inside of my life. I don't want to get to the end of my life and see that a love of money or a love of sports or a love of career, a love of whatever else it might be was something that choked out the thing that God wanted to do inside of my life. I'm not saying leave all your families and don't get an education, but you never make that the priority of your life. They're the blessings that God's given you. But Jesus, he's life. And we never compromise Jesus. We never compromise our relationship with Jesus. We never compromise following after Jesus for anything else in this world. Because when we start letting these other things grow, they'll start choking out Jesus in our life. And our life won't be fruitful. And the last thing that he says is that there's good soil. And what this is talking about is this is a heart. With a childlike faith. That's what Jesus is always saying, Hey, you wanna you wanna inherit the kingdom of God, you wanna be great in the kingdom of God, you become like one of these little kids. You have a childlike faith. And what does that mean? Children, they believe their parents. I could tell my kids the most improbable, unlikely, stupid things, and they'd believe me, because I'm their dad. They trust me and the reason why they trust me and why all of your kids don't trust me and they always know when I'm joking around with them is because of the relationship. It's because they know that I love them. It's because they know that I'm good to them. They know that I have their best interest at heart. It's because they know that there might be things that they don't understand, but I've, I've figured out more things in life than they have. They have a childlike faith, that complete trust and that complete submission. And this is what Jesus says our hearts have to be like if we want his word to come and to change us to be like him and to do the things that he did, to live a life like he lived. If we want to see the fruit of godliness produced inside of us as 30, that's 60, that's a hundredfold, we have to get to that place where we have a childlike faith in Jesus that makes us trust him implicitly. No matter how crazy what he says might sound, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, your word says this is truth, but it doesn't feel like truth. It doesn't seem good. It's not the way our culture is. It's not the way culture has conditioned me to think about things. But childlike faith says, even when I don't understand I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you because I know your heart, because I know you're good. I know that you're not going to lead me into destruction, but you're going to lead me into life eternal. You're not going to manipulate me. You're going to lead me into truth. Since so following Jesus is hard. It's really hard because it is in complete conflict with the life that you've been living. It's a complete reverse. That's what repentance means. It means a complete change of the way that we're thinking. Because every single one of us has been shaped by the culture that we were born into. And our culture now is very different than it was 100 years ago. It's very different than it was 200 years ago. It's very different than it was 500 years ago. And you know what? The culture we live in now will be very different than it will be in 100 years. If we continue to allow ourselves to be shaped by culture, it will constantly change and it will constantly be wrong and constantly lead us into destruction and to ruin. I can tell you what the kingdom of God was at the beginning of time and I can tell you what the kingdom of God will be like a hundred years from now I'll tell you what the kingdom of God will be like a billion years from now I can tell you what his ethic and I can tell you what truth is as defined by Jesus always has been and always will be and that's the truth that I'm going to live my life by because I have a childlike faith Jesus I don't understand the Bible have you ever noticed sometimes it doesn't give you like the understanding of why this is it just says this is and I'll be obedient that's hard sometimes because we want to understand, well, why, God? Why is it this way? He doesn't always tell us why. He just says, just trust me. Have a childlike faith and believe that I'm going to lead you into restoration. Be willing to leave this other stuff behind. Be willing to bend your knee to me. Be willing to have the faith of a child in their father. You now, for some of you, uh, for all of us, we all had fathers that fell short. Even if you had the world's greatest dad, they still fell short. And sometimes we've allowed... The images or the hurts that we've received from our earthly fathers to shape the way that we view God. Listen, God will never abuse you. God will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never manipulate you. He's perfect. He's just. Nothing's impossible for Him. He understands all things. He will always lead you into blessing. He will always lead you into prospering, even when you don't see it and even when you can't understand it. But the childlike faith in us says, I know that this is who you are. And because of that, I'm going to submit myself to you and come after you. When we have that kind of heart, the word of God begins to transform us and to change us. And we're able to move into everything else that he has for us. But this is the starting point. Jesus says, if you don't get this parable, you'll never get anything else you have to let your heart be changed. If your heart's hard, you have to let the Holy Spirit come and begin to plow up the hard places. If there's rocks that are growing, if there's rocks that are, that are in there, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to come and begin to remove those rocks. If there are competing interests in weeds that are already growing and are springing up, you need the Holy Spirit to come and to grab them by the root and to yank them out so that your heart can be a heart that's filled with childlike faith that receives the word of God and bears fruit that is 60, 100, we'll go even more than that, a thousand, a million, a trillion times more than what it is that's been sown into us. I think we all want that life. But are we willing to let the Holy Spirit do the surgery on our heart that needs to occur so that we can truly follow after Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, would you come and search our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you show us which one of these hearts that we have? We don't want to miss out on this. We want the kingdom. We want to follow after you. So Jesus, would you show us the kind of heart that we have? Is your heart hard? Are there conditions for you in following after Jesus? There have been other weeds, competing interests that are choking out the life that you have in Jesus. This morning, the Holy Spirit's here to change your heart. He's here to prepare the soil so that you can follow Jesus and so that you can receive his word and that it can change and transform your life and produce fruit. If this morning you know that you need the Holy Spirit to come and to do some work inside of your heart, maybe it's that for all this time you've, you've never responded to the call of Jesus to follow after him, but, but this morning somehow something's happening, you know that you need to, you know that this is what your life needs to be about from now on, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, then this is the morning for you to make that decision. Maybe the Holy Spirit's highlighting some of the conditions right now that you've put on following him. And he wants to get rid of those. He's able to do that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's highlighting the competing interests in your life that you need to allow him to get rid of for you. He can do that this morning. Don't let your life go by looking like everything's good on the surface, but when the day of testing comes, you fall away because you don't have roots. Don't go living your whole life being a big, beautiful plant but never producing fruit because it's been choked out by other competing resources. The Holy Spirit can save you from that today. If that's you this morning, if you're any of those and you want the Holy Spirit to change your heart, this is your sign of faith, just go ahead and raise your hand. There's rooms going up all around the room. The Holy Spirit is here to do something inside of your heart this morning. Thank you, thank you for those hands. Jesus, I pray for every hand that was raised, God, that you would come and that you would do only what you can do. Holy Spirit, you're the one that comes and plows up the hardness of our hearts. So Jesus, we pray for broken hearts all over this room, hearts that are broken by you, hearts that are broken for you and for your kingdom cause. Jesus, I pray that you would, every clod, every hard place in our hearts, Jesus, that you would come and that you would bring softness to it, that you would make an environment, God, that you prepare a place that is able to receive your word. Jesus, for every rock that's been blocking growth, that's been keeping us from digging deep into the life that you've called us to, that's been keeping us from digging deep into following after you, Jesus, we pray that you would break apart those rocks and that the roots of your word would penetrate and go down deep into you. Jesus, that we would find our strength and our substance in you and in you alone, a strength that enables us to stand the test, whatever that test might be, Jesus, but that we would never fall away because we're not shallow people, but we're deeply rooted in you and in your word. Jesus, I pray for every person here who's been struggling with weeds that are choking out the life that you've called them to. The weeds of relationships that they know they shouldn't be in. The weeds of pursuing things that they know they shouldn't be pursuing. Even the weeds of fear and insecurity that continue to grow and to choke out the boldness and the power that you came to give. Jesus, I pray that you would come and that you would remove every one of those weeds by the root, not at the surface level where it grows back, but by the root, never to come back again, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would make our hearts and Radiant Church fertile places. God, that we would be those who hide your word inside of our heart and that we would allow it to change us and to transform us. God, we pray that you would use this, this gathering of people in this service, Jesus, to transform our families, to transform our city, Jesus. God, would you do something here that only you could do? God, would you do something here that spreads throughout our county and spreads throughout our state and all of the nation and all of the world, Jesus, because of the fruit that your word is going to produce inside of us? Jesus, come and change our hearts. Give us that childlike faith. Reveal yourself fresh and new as a good, good father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. The father that we can trust with everything that we are. The Father who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. The Father who even when we go through our most difficult times, the Father who never turns away from us. Reveal yourself to every heart to be the God that we can trust with a childlike faith. And Jesus, let this not just be for a morning. God, your word, let it produce fruit. God, we want to be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water that in due season will produce fruit. And Jesus, give us that vision to understand that. For some of you, a week from now, a month from now, you'll think Jesus failed because there's not a lot of fruit being born in your life. There are seasons of fruitfulness and right now, God has you in a season of strengthening. Right now, God might have you in a season of establishing the roots that you will need to sustain the thing that he's going to do. And you don't allow that to cause you to question what God has done. Don't allow that to cause you to question God's timing or to go back on the promise. His promise is he will bear fruit in you. He will bear fruit. That's 30, 60, 100 times. But first, there needs to be a root that's established. There needs to be seasons of rain. There needs to be seasons of sun and of growth. And then the fruit comes. God, give us the patience and the perseverance for fruitfulness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Jesus is good. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. They're going to be right on the, on the front outsides here. If there's anything we can pray for you about, come, let us pray for you. Maybe you just need some encouragement this morning. Come, let them encourage you. Maybe you need some healing. Maybe you need wisdom. Maybe you need whatever it is Jesus is able. Come and let us pray for you. If you decided to follow Jesus for the first time today or recommit yourself, and let someone know you can do it by on the back of those communication cards there's an option to to check if you recommitted or made a first time decision to follow Jesus we want to know that because we want to be able to to get you some resources and and encourage you along the way and to be able to pray for you or if you don't want to do that you can also just text in i decided to 97000 and it will ask for your uh, address so we can send you some resources. But I mean, we want to help you. We want to walk with you on this new life that you have in Jesus. So let us do that for you. It's so much better to live life with other people and have other people encouraging you as you do this. If you don't, I uh, guarantee you, it's not going to go well for you. So come let someone know that you made a decision so we can be alongside you in all of this. Uh, go out, drink some coffee, enjoy the day. And then tomorrow morning, actually tonight, when you go home you have your quiet time, you start, to, uh, you start to fertilize that seed that God's put in you. You start to read your Bible. You start to pray. You start to worship. You just focus on Jesus and his goodness, but allow something miraculous to continue to happen in your life. God bless. See you next Sunday.